The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning we are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever lived. That it was the sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that he in it described kingdom life. He described what citizens within the kingdom looked like, the characteristics of those citizens of the kingdom, Christians, uh, what life in the kingdom was like, what are the norms, what are the realities of life together. And we've seen over the course of these weeks together, and we will over the months that we have together, we'll be studying this uh, section of scripture uh, until the springtime uh, of looking deeply, taking a couple of breaks in there, but uh, of following through and seeing the beauty of all of these things, the depth. And I've been encouraged uh, so much over the last few weeks to hear uh, from many of you uh, that you are being blessed by taking a pause and going deeper into these things to allow them to, as it were, uh, saturate our, our hearts, to allow it to seep in uh, and to penetrate into our hearts, to understand that these beatitudes that we've been looking at and are going to look at again today are really a picture of the Christian life, of the Christian uh, in her life, in his life, and that they have been described uh, as the person who is most to be congratulated in all the world. That these beatitudes are that description. And so we come to them this morning and we listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Christ as he preached and spoke uh, these words. This is the very word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. So the Beatitudes are a description of a person most to be congratulated. They are the qualities of the Christian life. They are the qualities of a Christian. They are not descriptions of different kinds of Christians, but a description of a Christian and how the gospel taking a root within our lives, transforming our lives, our hearts, begins to look within us, that we realize that we look poor in spirit, that we recognize that, that we mourn over our sin, that we're meek, uh, that we have mercy, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we desire purity, that we find ourselves uh, suffering at times. And we recognize that the Bible 
teaches and highlights and puts an incredible emphasis on the idea of being rather than doing. The idea of being rather than doing. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I still remember sitting in Memphis uh, back in the early 2000s with a young man who uh, was a writer and he was this cool Christian and we were sitting at a restaurant and he was leaning back and he had a cigarette and he said, you know, Bill, your problem is that you're much more about doing than being. And the Christian life is all about being, man. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, it's doing. Yeah, we're going to be, but then we got to do. And what I realized in this is that he was more right than I wanted to give him credit for that day. That you see, who we are in Christ is of primary importance within the Bible. Your identity within uh, that knowledge of being united with Christ, uh, of Christ being in you, you being in Him, a new creation created for good works. Yes, there is a doing, but it comes out of our being. Uh, That what we do is an outflow and an overflow of who we are. And one of the greatest problems within the church today that I believe I see uh, is that most people don't know who they are. We have an identity crisis. We don't know uh, what, what the scripture says about us that we read. And I've heard from so many people, even in myself, that we didn't realize the Beatitudes were a subscription of us. We thought it was a list of things to do. That in order to get mercy, I've got to be merciful. Uh, that in order to inherit the earth, I've got to do this. That in order to get this, I've got to do these things. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh pastor and preacher in London in the middle part of last century, wrote this and said, we are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is meant to control us. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is meant to control us. My Christianity controls me. I am to be dominated by the truth, by the truth, because I have been made a Christian by the operation of the Holy Spirit within me. The whole of our life is an expression of, and a proclamation of what we really are. And as we confront a list like this, meaning the Beatitudes, or as we look at this extraordinary portrait of the Christian drawn by our Lord, we are forced to look at ourselves and examine ourselves and ask ourselves questions. The particular question here today is, are we merciful? If this is a picture of the Christian life, if this is a picture of who we are, are we have to ask the question is that who i am am i that person am i poor in spirit am i meek Uh, do i hunger and thirst for righteousness sake and today am i merciful so what we're going to do today in the time that we have is we're going to answer five questions what where who how why what where who how why what what is mercy Where? Where is the source of this mercy in our lives? Where do we go to find this mercy in our lives? Who? Who are the recipients of the blessing? He says, blessed are those. So who is it that gets the blessing, the divine happiness? How? How do we express mercy within our lives? And then the final question is simply this. Why? Why is it so important? Why is mercy so important? Well, I'm glad you asked these questions as you've been approaching it this morning. And the first is what? 
what is mercy? The basic idea of mercy in the word that's used here is to give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. To give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. The essential thought is that mercy gives attention to misery. That mercy gives attention to misery. Mercy is related to grace, but it is distinct from grace. If you read Paul's letters, he begins to write in Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and in Titus, he writes this statement in the beginning. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. Many times he would write, grace and peace be to you. But all of a sudden he began to distinguish, and I believe that maybe underneath, behind it, was the fact that people were assuming that mercy and grace were the same thing. They are similar, but there's a distinction between the two. Both grace and mercy are undeserved, but yet they are distinct. Grace is shown to the undeserving, uh, that is true. Mercy is compassion to the miserable. A, A synonym, if you're looking for it, for mercy is compassion. A synonym for mercy is compassion. And this compassion is not simply a feeling of compassion. It is more than that. Mercy exists when something is done to alleviate suffering. Mercy only exists when something is done to alleviate the misery or to alleviate the suffering that is seen in someone else's life. Mercy is grace in action, if you want to put it that way. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless, uh, who need salvation, who need help. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. It it identifies with those who uh, are under the effects of the fall uh, within their lives. And it comes and it comes and it, it goes in and it acts within it. We must never imagine that we are merciful because we feel mercy. We are merciful when we act upon that feeling and engage in the relief of the misery. Mercy means active goodwill, not just a feeling, but an active goodwill. This was understood by a 19th century pastor who was walking along the road and he saw that a friend of his and his horse had died and was dead on the road and a group of people had gathered around and were very concerned were feeling compassion towards the man whose horse was dead. But the onlookers were just talking. And the preacher walked forward and he looked at the loudest sympathizer and he said these words, I'm sorry, five pounds. How sorry are you? And he took his hat and passed it around. Mercy acts. Mercy said, I'm sorry, five pounds. Now, not, you're, it's English. Some of you are going, what? I'm sorry, five dollars. How sorry are you? Well, I'm not really that sorry. We're not empathetic, we're just pathetic. <laughs> Empathy engages in life. Empathy and compassion move towards the person and say, it's going to cost me in this mercy demands action. So the what? What is mercy? 
Mercy is active goodwill. Mercy is grace in action, and it demands action. Now the question, okay, where then do I get this mercy? Where do I go to find this mercy uh, that it can then flow out of me and, and can be active within my life to care for others who I see have needs? Well, what you need to do is review the first, and what we need to do, and I need to do, is review the first four Beatitudes. Because remember, uh, Jesus, the greatest preacher of all times, putting together the greatest sermon of all times, uh, looked and thought, I'm going to build on this. And so he began, and we said the first three were an emptying. They said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Emptying. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I can't do anything on my own. Blessed are those who mourn who recognize that there is a sense of mourning over their sinfulness, of mourning of that condition, that blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who within their spiritual poverty, within that bankruptcy, within that mourning, recognize themselves for who they really are. It's not that they think too highly of themselves or or too little of themselves. They just think of themselves less. They're not the center of their thoughts. There's a humility, a meekness that comes to that. I heard a great, I was listening to sports radio this week and had found a great illustration of that. Sandy Koufax, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, pitched for the Dodgers, was being interviewed about a current Dodgers pitcher, Clayton Kershaw. And the interviewer said, Sandy, do you think at the end of the day, when all the record books are written, when the history of baseball is written, that Clayton Kershaw is going to be mentioned in the same sentence as you? And he said, Koufax paused and looked. He said, my question would be more, would my name be mentioned in the same sentence with his when all is said and done? That's meekness. That's not thinking too highly of yourself. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pitcher of all times. He said, no, I think of somebody else more highly than I think of myself. Meek. And so there's this emptying, mourning, of poverty, of meekness, that then leads to the fourth, and that's what we talked about last week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they will be satisfied. The capstone of all of them. You've been emptied, and now you come and find that in Christ you have your righteousness, you have your very identity, that the perfections of Christ have been transferred into your account. All of your debt has not just been forgiven, it has been liquidated. Christ had to pay the fullness of your debt against the heavenly, our Heavenly Father, that He received justice, you received mercy and grace you received this incredible mercy is what goodwill in action jesus just didn't stand back and go man mccutcheon's in a bind dad have you seen this guy he's a mess he he doesn't get it he's been given all of the possible things that you can be given Great parents who love you, dad, uh, who his dad is even a, a minister of this good news of the gospel. He's grown up in this home. He's had all of this stuff, and yet he keeps rejecting it. Man, this guy's a miserable louse. Damn him to hell. Jesus entered in. And he said, Bill, I see the misery of your life, and I see the misery of your soul, and I'm entering in. And I'm giving you mercy that you don't deserve. 
I'm giving you something because I'm not going to stand on the outside looking in until you get your act together and then come to me. And some of you have been raised in those churches and in those homes. And today you're just going, this doesn't feel right. This feels like a wool sweater on my bare skin. But you need to hear this. You do not have to clean yourself up first and then God accepts you. You actually have to be honest about how undone you are. That you're poverty stricken. That you're mourning. That you're not all that and then some. And that God's not getting a bargain with you. And that He's not going, man, if I could only have McCutcheon on the team then. No. It's God rich in mercy. And Christ entered into this place. And so we saw this capstone of the righteousness of Christ given to us by the very mercies of God. Maybe you're picking up on a theme if you've read through the liturgy today. Mercy of God, seeing that, coming to the mercy table, coming to this place of beauty uh, that we come today. And then it makes sense that the next and the very first outflow, you've been emptied, you've been filled, and now the outflow in the Christian life is what? Be merciful. If you understand at all anything that just transpired in the other four Beatitudes, it should show itself in your life to be a merciful person. So where do you go to find mercy? You go to the gospel. You go to the Father himself. For the mercy that we have is a quality and characteristic trait of our heavenly Father. And so it flows from him through the Holy Spirit into our lives. He is that reservoir. And the the movement and the action of the gospel on our behalf uh, is what shows us this. Mercy comes from the heart that has first felt its spiritual bankruptcy and been filled uh, by the riches and the rewards of Christ himself. That's where it comes from. You see, the key to becoming a, a merciful person is to become a broken person first. The mercy that God blesses is itself the blessing of God. It grows up like a fruit in a broken heart a meek spirit, and a soul that hungers and thirsts for God to be merciful. Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. John Piper. So where? Where do we find this wellspring of mercy? It comes from the wellspring of Christ Himself, from the Father Himself, brought and applied to us by the Holy Spirit within our lives. And we go to that place. It's not my own reservoir. I'm not a merciful person naturally by myself. And neither are you. You're not born with a natural inclination towards mercy. uh, But it is a divine characteristic and a divine trait that is given to us through Christ and flows out of that to our lives. So what is mercy? It is compassion in action. Where do we go to find it? We go to our Heavenly Father uh, to find it. We go uh, to the riches of the gospel. That's why we say uh, that we believe it's the gospel that will transform lives. We keep going back to the constant and regular application of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to get it so ad nauseum that you get it, that you know it, that it flows from you. I ask people regularly, tell me what the gospel is. People who've been in the church here at least for six and a half years while I've been here and years before that and they pause. I'm like, oh no! We still don't get it! Luther said I could preach the gospel every single week because my people forget it every single week. And we do. Because you walk right back out of here and you think too much of yourself, right? And the reason I know that 
Just take a glance at how you're going to drive today. Anybody, gonna, anybody ever been frustrated by the person in front of you? Going too slow? Anybody relate to that? What are you saying? I'm important. Where I've got to get to is important. So move. Why are you in the left lane on an interstate? Don't you know that I want to break the law and go faster? Because I need to get somewhere. I'm more important. We think too highly of ourselves. We forget it immediately. We're not very meek. We're not very low. And we forget it when we recognize that we're not very merciful. So what is it? Where do we go to find it? And then who gets this blessing? Because it says it's a blessing. Blessed or divinely happy. Those who receive divine happiness. uh, Those who receive this. Those are the, the merciful. So, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So how do we get it? How do we get this mercy? Many have interpreted this passage, along with other passages that come even in the Sermon uh, on the Mount, uh, different and, and incorrectly. For we say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, the Lord's Prayer, just as your heavenly Father uh, will, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And, and so what we see here, and what's been interpreted improperly, is the who receives the blessing are the people who are merciful, so that in order for me to get the blessing, I've got to be mercy. So merciful, I've got to forgive. So therefore, if I forgive, then I get the blessing. You see what's just happened there subtly? That we've turned the gospel into works. That if I do this, then I get this. And we've got to go back and we've got to remind ourselves, no, this is a description of the person who is already a follower of Jesus Christ, already a Christian. So what we have to understand in this is that showing mercy is evidence that we have already received mercy. And only those who have received mercy... From Christ will be blessed. The emphatic is used in this. They shall receive mercy. So you could reread it this way. Blessed are the merciful for they and they alone will receive mercy. So it's an understanding that we don't earn it. And we all want to earn things. We don't understand. We don't like the gospel. uh, But we want to put something in. This beatitude means uh, that it is those who are truly God's children and the subjects of His divine mercy that will themselves be merciful and receive mercy, and then in the end of the day receive that blessing of delight and contentment. So who receives it? Not those who work harder at mercy, but those who have already understood and received that mercy. So now the question, how? How do we express the mercy that we've received? How do we then say, I am blessed, I've received this mercy, I understand what mercy is, I understand the source of it, I am blessed in this way, now I want to go out and show it. How do I show it? What is the best way to express the mercy that I have received from Christ? And there's two ways, compassion and forgiveness. Compassion and forgiveness. I'm going to distinguish between those two. Our understanding of of this beatitude it really penetrates in and gives two tests. It says, here's a test to see whether you're one of the ones who is blessed, whether you're compassionate and whether you're forgiving. 
If you're a person who's regularly compassionate to others and you're a person who forgives, then you can see uh, that you're probably one of the blessed. So you can turn it that way or we can answer the question this way. How do we express it? Well, we express it with compassion. If we have received mercy, we will extend compassion, mercy, to those who are physically and economically in distress. We, another way to phrase it is if we have no mercy towards those suffering physically and economically within our world, uh, then we have to question our understanding of the gospel, whether we understand it at all or just have a truncated, uh, immature view of it. Now, folks, I want to make sure that you understand something here. This is not a political statement. Our politics should always be shaped by our Christianity. Our Christianity should never be shaped by our politics. So this is not a liberal democratic sermon point that you're about to hear. And we're not going to stand on the outside and go, well, it's trickle-down economics, and that'll change everything. No, no, set aside all of those political philosophies and ideologies and ask this, how is it that I'm supposed to show love within the two-party system that I currently find myself in? How am I supposed to go about, as a Christian who's been shown this, I'm supposed to show compassion to those who are suffering and economically challenged within our country and in the world. And by the way, there are plenty of them, aren't there? What did Jesus say? You will always have whom with you? You will always have the poor with you. So the gospel isn't going to solve poverty, is it? If maybe the gospel went out, then there'd be no poor. If you did this, that's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a damnation from hell itself. Because it's leading people to think that somehow the gospel is going to be said, no, no, no. It has an answer for poverty. But the answer is this. Enter into the impoverished life. Enter into the difficulty, enter into the marginalized life, enter into the life of the person who has no voice, enter in as Christians who have received compassion, enter in and care for those. And there's this great little parable that Jesus gave that taught something about that. It's the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And what we see uh, in this, and a quick picture if you haven't heard this story, uh, there was a man traveling along the road. He got attacked by robbers. He was over in the ditch, bloodied, beaten up, and he's over there suffering. And a pastor walks by, and the pastor looks over, and he notices, and he goes, hey, there's a guy beaten and bloodied over there in the ditch. Man, poor fellow, but I got to get to preach to my congregation. They need me. So he headed on, and he didn't do anything. And then right behind him was his worship pastor. So Bill walked by and said absolutely nothing and did absolutely nothing. And then Matt comes strolling by. Uh, he's got his, uh, you, you know, uh, trendy new uh, toga uh, on and robe, a little bit tighter uh, than mine and much better shoes uh, than mine. And, and he walks by and he sees the guy over there on the side of the road. He goes, man, that guy's pretty butt beaten up and bloodied. He's a mess. But I got to get to church and lead worship for all these good people at my church. So he walked on by. So leaders within the church walked by, showed no compassion, no mercy at all. And then a racially diverse, hated Samaritan, religious outcast, racial outcast, social outcast, hated by the Jews, walked by, saw the man, and was merciful. And here's what we learn within this. Mercy, mercy sees distress. A Samaritan walked by and he saw him. He didn't just notice him, he saw him. Do you understand the difference? He saw him. 
And he entered into her pain. He entered into his pain. He saw the life over there dying. And he saw him. He noticed him. Some of us are so busy, we don't even notice the distress of people who are around us. One of the greatest blessings on this island was Hurricane Matthew, whether you realize it or not. Because it ripped apart 250,000 trees off of our island so that we could see one another a little bit. I've talked to some of you who've been on the island for decades and didn't know we had dirt roads. They didn't know there was poverty. That there were people suffering just down our street. That there were over 50% of the children in the public school who are on government-assisted meals because they're under the poverty level in our community. The chamber, I hate to break it to you, the chamber doesn't go, come to Hilton Head, we've got a poverty issue. We don't want to see it. But a person who understands mercy sees it. But doesn't only see it, but is moved by that. Their heart internally moves. It said that he that is the Samaritan, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. His heart moved towards him. Not away from him. Not getting over to work. Not getting over. I don't want to get contaminated. I, I, I don't want to get messed with this guy. It's going to be a problem for me. But his heart was moved within him with compassion. Then the third thing uh, that we see in this uh, is that he was not only moved internally, that internal move has a corresponding external move. Remember, you're not merciful unless you act upon it. And it says that he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He did something about it. He cared for the man. And by the way, the last thing, then we see that this acts even when the person in distress is different from you or an enemy of yours. So you see it, you have compassion on it, you act, and you don't worry about the object of your compassion and mercy. Because if the man beaten up in the ditch had any sense about him, he would have stood up and gone, don't touch me, I'm a Jew. You're mixed race, you're dirty, we don't like you, we don't want you. And this man, the Samaritan, said, I don't worry about that. You're actually not my enemy. You're a human being who is destroyed right now. And I'm going to enter into your distress. You're under uh, the fall right now. And I'm going to care for you. That's compassion at work. In your bulletin today, you got to read a little bit about an opportunity that we have a, a privilege that we have to engage in the work of compassion. That our sister Thelma Baez and her family, uh, we got to meet because of a storm. And because of God's rich mercy to us, moving in the hearts uh, of some within our congregation, someone uh, said, Bill, do you think it would be okay if maybe we approach Sister Thelma and her family as she cares for her family and she cares for little Elijah, who's a covenant child uh, of our church, that we came towards them and, and we partnered with Habitat and we built them a home on their property right there on Wild Horse Road. Do you think that'd be okay? I uh, said, so I think that'd be wonderful. It's up to Thelma, but it'd be okay if it's okay with, with her. And, that, and somebody, we don't know who in our church, donated all the money, over $100,000, to pay for this house. And Habitat said, this is incredible. We can't wait to do this. 
And so it's coming and entering in to life and being able to show compassion and to be engaged in life together. And it's going to be awesome. This can be a good day. It is a good day, by the way. Because the mercy of God took hold of somebody's heart here and moved them to put that money in the hat. I didn't ask. Nobody asked. They said, God's shown this to me. How can I not show love to somebody else? And the really cool thing, and I, I don't have time to tell you all about it, but the really cool thing that's really awesome in, in the midst of this uh, is the Lord has brought together a team of people from within our church and outside our church uh, to do some estate planning, an attorney who's going to do that pro bono to help do estate planning. Uh, we, we were talking to uh, another attorney who's doing pro bono work to see that Elijah is adopted and safe and cared for because the scripture says take care of the widow and the orphan. And so that person's going to do that. We've got a CPA in our church. A CPA who's working with them on all their finances to make sure their finances are right. We've got somebody who works in the social work uh, area of life and of the counseling, and they're working with them uh, as a family uh, to make sure that happens. Uh, and all of it's happening because the Lord showed mercy to some, and they said, we want to show mercy and compassion to others. That's how this works, by the way. And it's awesome. So we're going to come back. And I expect to have to turn down an awful lot of people who want to come onto your property and help build your house. Because I fully expect this church to go, I want in. I don't want to let just all uh, of these folks who are with Habitat to get the privilege of doing this. I want to get the privilege uh, of doing this. I want to step in uh, and do this. This is God's rich mercy showing itself in compassion towards others. That's the first. The second is then through forgiveness. That's compassion. The second is through forgiveness. And Jesus says in another parable that he says there in the parable of the unmerciful slave in Matthew chapter 18. He said, those who have been forgiven much forgive. Those who have been shown this mercy and forgiveness of God extend forgiveness to others. And I don't have time to go into this parable, but I'll say this. It exposes our hearts. And for some, it exposes when you say, I am unwilling to forgive that person. Oh, be careful. Because what you're saying is, I deserve God's forgiveness, but I will not forgive that person. I refuse. You're exposing your heart. But others of you are not standing with your arms crossed, saying, I am unwilling. Some of you are standing with tears and with brokenness going, I'm unable. I want to extend forgiveness, but do you know what he did to me? Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what happened? I want to forgive, and I don't know how to forgive. I want to give you hope. There's a beautiful well springing up within you called Christ Himself, and He, over time, will begin to teach you and allow you to forgive even the most heinous of sins uh, that have happened in your life. Because if we believe that that little pithy statement is true, that drinking, that forgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking that the other person is going to get sick and die. That we're going, I don't want to be poisoned anymore. I want to forgive this person. I want to believe that I can forgive this person in my marriage and my marriage come together. That I can forgive my parents. That I can forgive my abuser. That I can forgive that scoundrel who stole money uh, in my business scheme. I can do that. I want to do it. It takes time. But I want to give you hope 
that you can get there. I wish I had time to read you this wonderful story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you have heard of her, and some of you are going, I don't know who that is. If you're in the second camp, go find out today. Corey Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, a terrible treatment because she, not a Jew, was giving care to a Jews, to the Jews in the hiding place, the story. And she was incarcerated, and her sister died. One day she's telling, uh, she's teaching in a church in Munich, and one of the SS officers who was there overseeing her demise and the destruction of so many Jews was there and heard the sermon and came up to her after she had taught and preached that day. And he extended his hand to her and he said, isn't it incredible the mercy that we've received from Jesus Christ? Corey Ten Boom just looked at him. I want to be able to forgive him. She couldn't raise her hand. She goes, but I keep teaching these things. And she couldn't raise her hand. And then finally, a few moments after he had said it a couple of times with his hand extended, she extended her hand and she reached out her hand and she touched the hand of this man who in her estimation was a monster, but was now a redeemed monster by the blood of Jesus Christ, the same blood that redeemed her. And she touched his hand and she said it was as if a current of power shot through my body. As I realized the great mercy that God had shown me and the forgiveness that I have received, I was able to extend and my life was changed. Oh, it's possible, folks. It's possible within your life. And then the final thing I'll have to say in such brief is why is this so important? Because it shows and it distinguishes between our religiosity, our religion, and our hearts. Jesus said constantly, and the scripture said constantly, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't just want your obedience. I want your mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe to you. You tithe mint. You do all of these things. You are religious. You show up at church. You understand and you do. But your heart is not compassionate to those who are needing it. You're unwilling to forgive. You look good on the outside, but you are whitewashed tombs. There's death within you and you're contaminating everybody else that comes into contact with you. He says, folks, I want mercy in the heart because mercy is the very first beatitude because it exposes more about your heart than anything else. That's why I think Jesus put it at the top of the list. Do you want to know if you get the gospel? Are you a merciful person? Let that sink in today a little bit. And as you sink in and you see it, and you go, I do, I, I, I'm able to forgive. I see these things happening. I see the work that God's doing. He's doing this great work. I have a desire to do this and a desire that's acting out uh, into action and doing this. Then here's what I want you to do. Sit under God's smiles. For you are most to be congratulated. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Oh, the mercy that we have received is incomparable to anything in this life. And when we diminish it, would you forgive us? So Father, as we approach your table today, it is mercy, all and free, that Christ acted and entered into our pain. He took on human form. He lived perfectly among us under the weight of even the natural laws that he helped bring into existence 
in the creation that he helped speak into existence with the people who rebelled against his father and against him. And he knew that he would have to die on their behalf. He entered in and at great cost to himself. Gave to us life, his life. And so as we come to this table, would you prepare us to receive the life that he's given to us? To him be all glory and praise. Amen.